This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mary Louise Watkins was a 54-year-old divorcee from Modesto, California. She had five children and worked in the medical field. On May 17, 1979, Mary packed up everything she owned and said she was running off to get married. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Over the past almost six years of Unfound, I have not talked too much about serial killers, mainly because I'm not convinced many of the disappearances we've covered have been part of any kind of spree. In fact, I don't even like using the M-word, murder, or the K-word, kill, or the D-word, dead, because I don't like attaching finality to something that might not be final. I try to hold out hope that all these missing people are still alive somewhere. However, if I were to be pressed to answer which unfound missing people could be gone as the result of serial killers, I would say Debbie Lowe, Brandy Myers, and Brenda Condon. That's it. Three out of 255 disappearances covered. That's 1.3% for you business majors. Well, that percentage is going up today with the disappearance of Mary Watkins. In fact, the percentage will continue to go up over the summer as I hope to cover at least two other disappearances connected to the same killer who has successfully hid his victims to this point. So this starts a series I'm calling The Con Man. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Mary Watkins, after over 30 years of marriage, had had enough. She and her husband had grown apart, so she filed for divorce and was granted one. Mary landed on her feet. She moved to Modesto and bought a duplex, renting out the other half. Mary found a job at a hospital, working the night shift. Everything seemed perfect. Then in the spring of 1979, things changed without warning. Mary quit her job, sold her house, and took a large amount of cash from her bank, while also giving different people different stories regarding her intentions. So on May 17th, 1979, 
Mary packed up her car and left her friend's place where she had been staying. Her car was found in downtown Modesto not long after. Mary was never seen again. However, in June, almost exactly a month later, her five children received letters from her. Each was postmarked from Modesto. Although each letter was slightly different, each had the same theme. Mary had met a man, and she was running away to get married. Furthermore, Mary had not told this man about her children and did not intend to do so until the time was right, and Mary would not be in touch until she did so. However, no one received a follow-up letter. One of the scariest parts for me about covering disappearances is I've learned that there are people out there who are master manipulators. People who seemingly can quickly see the weaknesses in people and use them to take advantage. Almost as if these people have some sort of horrible superpower. I ask you to think about that while you also try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, in retrospect, could anyone have realistically stopped Mary from leaving? Number two, do you believe Mary wrote those letters under duress or that what she wrote in them is what she really did and believed? And number three, is there a weakness in all of us that someone can use to his or her advantage under the right conditions? Not only Mary's family, but law enforcement in California believe Mary was murdered. The guest for this episode is Mary's son, Ed Watkins. Unfound news. Monday, June 6th, is a big day. Why? It will be the first time the live show is ever played at the beginning of the week. And that's where it will be staying. 9 p.m. Eastern, by the way. I hope you'll tune in. If not, you can catch the replay when it arrives in your podcast feed on Tuesday morning. Next, the Unfound Now for May is now available for members on our YouTube channel. Please consider joining, by the way. I discussed the disappearance of Marie Peter Toltz which occurred in L.A. a little over a month ago. The video will go public within the next three days. Finally, tomorrow, June 4th, I am headed to a wedding. I just could not turn down an invitation to be on location when former guest Kelly Bruce gets married in Georgia. Where you can find Unfound on these following podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and many others, especially outside the United States. Social media sites, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newest one, TikTok. Listener support sites, patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast the website the unfound the email address 
unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the son of Mary Watkins, believe it or not, Ed Watkins. Ed, welcome to Unfound. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Good to have you. Good to have you. And uh, listeners should know this is uh, interview is going to start. I think think something that's going to be going on over the summer in which I will be talking to family members who believe that they're mainly their mothers uh, were victims of a man, James Tolliver, who we will be talking about uh, later, of course, in this in this interview. So Ed, let's just start here. Let's talk a little bit about your family. Uh, how many? Uh, children are there besides you? Uh, of course, your mother Mary. How many kids did she have? Maybe if you have any half brothers, half sisters, any situation like that. Let's talk about that to start. Sure. I'm youngest of five. Uh, my there's a 14 year gap between my eldest sister and myself. Uh, I had two brothers and two sisters. My oldest brother. Richard has uh, since passed, and then I have an older sister, Charlene, which is five years older than me, and then I have a brother just older than me, Howard, and he's two years older than me. Okay. Wow. Okay. You're the youngest? I I am the baby of the family. Wow. Okay. All right. And how much, uh, how, uh, you said one of your uh, siblings has passed. How old is, how old was the oldest sibling older than you? Short years older than I am, so she's got to be pushing almost 80 years old, so she's got to be like 70. Wow. Okay. You know, we're getting get into uh, how there was uh, a divorce at one time. Maybe we can talk about that right now. Your mother, of course, you have these ki- these children. Uh, she got divorced from your father at some point. You know, what was going on? I realized that, um, you know, maybe how old you, I don't, I'm not sure how old you were at the time, but what was going on in the family that that happened? Well, my parents moved from Ceres, California to San Jose, California and bought a house like in 1949. And so by the time I came along was, you know, I was 17, 18 and 1976. So that's uh, that's um, how that went down. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mother. She came to me when she was 17, told me, and when I was 17, she told me she was going to get a divorce once I was 18. And I told her, you know, don't worry about me. Just go ahead. Don't wait. Go ahead. And so she went ahead with that. And we got an apartment for my senior year of high school. And we lived together in an apartment there. And then once I graduated, she moved back to Modesto, her hometown, to be with her uh, time friend and cousin. Uh, Mary Nunes, and so there was no real legal battle. I was already 18, and my parents sold the house, and my mom took her half of the divorce, 28000 and bought a duplex uh, in Modesto. Wow. Were you surprised when she told you, maybe you can, if you can speak for your other siblings, if you feel comfortable doing that, was that a surprise that she was going to choose to do that, get a divorce? Was surprised? No, you know, she'd been married. 35 years and she was a non-drink non-smoker and dad liked to drink it he was a 
a NASCAR official, and he spent time to track and and I, you know, they were high school boyfriend and girlfriend, and and you know, I just we outgrow it sometimes. Yeah. Okay. And then you growing up there once again. Uh, so uh, maybe to say maybe then to say that you weren't very surprised. No, it should have happened earlier. Even you know, they, I think I could see that she was just trying to uh, hold it and keep it together for me, wow. you know, to so I could have, you know, okay. both parents until I was eighteen. Okay, were you a little worried about that? Your mother getting divorced, going back to living on her own. Uh, were you and your other children, or your other brothers and sisters, were they a little worried about your mother at this point, or did you think, you know, I think she'll be all right being a single woman again? What were you thinking? Yeah, no, it seemed like a, a brighter future for her, you know. It got it got old with my dad, and um, okay, you know, it's it's good, it's good. She still was 54, 50 years old, you know, still plenty of life. Yeah, okay, I know the feeling. I'm 51 myself, so okay, I got you. All right, so maybe you were looking at it, your family's looking at it. This is like a step in the right direction, maybe for her. Like a new new beginning. Yeah, no, it, it went great. It went great. She bought a duplex in uh, uh, Modesto that gave her income on one side of the duplex. And wow. um, I wanted to play baseball in college. And so I followed her there a year later. So it gave me a place to to live. And, and I didn't have to work while I played baseball in college for two years. So I was okay. happy to be playing for her uh the junior high school or the junior college where she was from representing them for two years so mm. you know it was good oh, okay in, in modesto i outgrew i outgrew in modesto okay and i outgrew that when i graduated or went, finished my two years of college baseball i moved uh out of the house and moved up to kirkwood ski resort up in the sierra mountains okay all right so um, let's just talk about your mother being that she ended up being a single again. What would you say about her? What are some memories of her maybe in her uh, life after being married that you would talk maybe about her personality? What was her job? Things like that. You know, what can you say about that? Um, she was really generous, really kind. Uh, she loved her father. She loved her sister. Um, yeah. She was always uh, sending packages off to some charity and money. And the last time I saw her, or the second to the last time I saw her, she was dancing around, singing into an avocado, singing uh, <laughs> the, the Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue by Crystal Gale, you know, Crystal a big Gale, song back right? in 1979. You know, so. I know that tune. <laughs> so that was good. I had a good, good feeling there about that. So Yeah, singing into an avocado. That's that's yeah. that's pretty good. Okay. Because I loved avocado on toast, and so she was always willing to make it. So. Yeah. Okay. Um. What was her job? What was her? Uh, what, how was she making her money? You said maybe she was running. She was out the a other licensed uh, vocab. She was a licensed vocabulary nurse, and uh, she worked the graveyard shift, the eleven to seven o'clock shift, uh, most of the time, so that she could be home to send me off to school in the morning and. Sleep uh, till the afternoon, and then always had something cooking, fresh bread or a pie or something for the afternoon when I got home. Yeah. 
So what you're saying is you got to see her being that you just said that you went there to play baseball and, and, and go to school. You were seeing her quite a bit then uh, those last couple years before she went missing, seeing her quite a bit. Yeah, I think I had been gone for one ski season. Uh, so I probably would have left like in 1978, the fall and worked Kirkwood ski resort for six months and then showed back up, uh, in April. And that's when I found out she was selling the house. There was a for sale sign and, um, right. like that. So I helped her move all her stuff. Okay. And we're going to, we will certainly get into that uh, here in a bit. So this is how you remember she's a nurse making decent money, working a graveyard shift. She has this duplex. Maybe she's running the other side of it out. And so she's newly single, uh, late seventies, not maybe the easiest time for women, but she's figuring it all out. Okay. Um, how was your father doing through all of this? Were you keeping in contact with him? He didn't handle it very well. Please. He didn't handle it very well at all. And he moved to Baja, California wow. and pretty much just went in the tank. Oh no. All right. So your dad, maybe, uh, f f at least from a divorce point of view, your mother seemingly, uh, got out of the divorce in a better shape than your father did. She seemed to handle it better than he did. Okay. Got that. Um, so newly single, uh, being that you did see her, you were around her. Uh, of course, we're going to talk about James Tolliver eventually, but were you aware? Did she talk about, uh, you know, getting back into the dating pool? Uh, or did you ever see any men? Did she ever see her go out with any guys while you were around her for those couple years? What can you say about that? Um, one time, uh, a gentleman... His name is Ignacio, and that was her last name, Ignacio. And so I thought that was pretty entertaining. And I believe that she did meet him uh, through Parents Without Partners. Huh. And, yeah, I, I knew she was trying to find it, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. So she had gotten divorced, but that didn't turn her off maybe for, from getting into a relationship again, maybe even getting married again. Right. Okay. She... Yeah. Okay. And would you say regarding her money situation after being divorced, um, how was, you know, her money situation? It sounds like it's pretty good. She's, she has a job and she's renting this duplex out. Would you say she was, you know, probably not poor, right? Doing okay for herself. Yeah, she, she was doing great. She had her own money now and making her own decisions. So mm -hmm. I was pretty proud of her. Yeah. Okay. All right. And now let's just talk about this, though. This is something that's out there. So I have to ask you about it. You, in living with her at some point, saw a book about marriage. When did you see this book? How did it affect you? Did it surprise you? When did this happen? This book about, you know, I don't know, getting married again or something like that. I don't know the exact title and I don't have it in my notes. But what can you say about that? Well, when she said she was going to move her house and we hired a crew and a truck to move her stuff into storage, um, I found a book said starting uh, called Starting Over in Marriage. And I questioned her about it and she was really flustered and kind of stumbling and bumbling around for about five minutes. And then she finally came back and said, oh, well, it's for your sister. You know, your sister's having 
problems. And at that point, you know, I just blew it off and didn't give it another thought. But looking back, I always think, you know, did did someone buy that book for her to encourage her to get married or was that her own idea? Yeah. Uh, did, when she told you that, being that you said she looked flustered, uh, did you believe her at the time or did you think maybe something else was going on? Uh, you know, I kind of did think something else was going on, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't give it a second thought, you know, okay. it was private, apparently, and I never gave it a second thought until... Okay. years later of course okay and of course we're going to find out there was some things uh you know we're gonna you know things that you found out after the fact but would you have ever called your mother kind of a i don't know secretive person maybe keeping things from you things going on in her life or would you say you know you know if i were to use the word secretive to describe your mother would you say that's true or, or false well i don't think she was secretive today I think she had a secret, and I think she was uh, very capable of keeping a secret, and, and I didn't know. So Okay. Now, you've brought it up a couple times, and I think this is a, a very key part of her disappearance, and that is the selling of this house. Of course, she, you've already explained. She gets divorced. She moves to Modesto. She buys this duplex. You're living there at least part-time, I guess, or a lot of the time, not full-time, part of the time. So there's another part of it, maybe that she can run out. Then all of a sudden, it, the way it seems to me, maybe you can put it in your own words, she's selling it. Were you surprised? What did you say about this? How did she explain why she was doing this? Right. So that's a few different stories do start coming in, but it was no secret. She was listed with the realtor and had a forced sign out in the front of her brother had gone by and um, I told people she's selling her house. Why? And I can't remember what he told her. She initially told me that she was moving back to uh, the Almaden Valley is right near San Jose by Mobile. And first she just wanted to go on a vacation um, before before she started back over that way. And so I totally bought into that whole thing and I helped her move her stuff into storage and I thought she was on her way. Okay. Uh, anybody else, rem remember, I'm thinking you were at about 20 at the time. Was there anybody else in your family, maybe some of your other siblings, some of your siblings, who might have said to you, you know, there's something about this that doesn't seem right. Anything like that? Or was it just, this is what she's doing and everybody's just going along with it. Did anybody have any concerns about any of this? Um, well, later, my sister did get uh, a letter. But in the paper, it said that my oldest sister uh, had no idea that she was selling the house and that she was going to move with her. They were, she, they were, she was quoted as saying that she was going to be moving to her with her, with her, sorry. And there was no connection there. But once my other sister really received her letter, it said that she was um, selling the house so that she could get married and go on a honeymoon. Wow. All right. Let's being that you've brought up these letters, these are letters that were sent to, each of you, correct? Each of each of you got your own personal letter? Right. So my mom, last time they can remember seeing her was, uh, I think, on Mother's Day in 1979, or at least February 17th is the day they're uh, marking it as the anniversary. 
and I don't think we received our letters till the first or second week of June. <laughs> Excuse me. Wow. And we all received letters that um, stated that due to past problems in her new husband's life, she wasn't going to tell him that she had any kids. So um, we received five letters, each one of us. And in my sister's was the only one that said that the guy was a doctor. And that, um, but basically that she wasn't going to tell him she had kids. And when I received my letter, I laughed out loud because I'm thinking she belongs to parents without partners. Obviously, you're, you're at a place that's parent without partners. But then I had to rethink that thinking, well, I didn't know where she had met the person. She could have met him anywhere. And so that wasn't relevant. But so you got these I just letters. can't believe that you could talk. To, you couldn't talk to my mom for more than 20 minutes without her saying something about her. Right. Uh, family and our kids right like any good mom of course on the on the regards to the letters that we received my aunt also received a letter and it stated the same thing that she had met a doctor mm -hmm. and that she was going to be running off but she was going to tell him that she had children after the honeymoon wow. and okay. so I just, I just find it all I thought she wrote him under duress but my other sisters believe that that's not true, that she had totally bought in and she totally believed in. Okay. All right. We don't want to do too much speculation right at this point, but I need to ask you, the, ex the accepted disappearance date is May 17th of 1979. So you got these letters after she went missing. Right. Okay. Do you know, did she mail them to each of you? Mail through the mail. She mailed them to me. They were uh, postmarked from Stockton, postmarked from Stockton, California. Uh, but all I learned basically all the mail goes to Stockton from that area and gets postmarked before it goes out. Okay. Do you remember the postmark date? And, uh, I burnt my letter right away. My father was visiting at the time, and I disposed of the letter in the fireplace uh, almost immediately because I didn't want to upset him you know for him to find out I didn't tell him you know I believe that she was married probably and didn't want to tell him so okay. you know of course looking back you wish you had the letter right for evidence or right now I want to come back to these letters in just a moment but she sold we have to remember she sold this place where did you live after she sold this place where did you go I went to the Santa Cruz Mountains to my grandmother's house, my fa my father's mom. Father's. Okay. And that's where I received my letter. Okay, so she knew that you were there. So the address went to the grandmother's where you were. Yes. All right, so she knew that you were there. Okay. Now, my understanding, though, once again, from my notes, is that after she sold the place, she went to live with a friend of hers, at least for a little while. Yes, I believe there was a nurse that she worked with at work, and she was just staying with her until her plans, you know, could, could um, come together the way she wanted. During that time, she called me and told me to come and get $100 from her. Uh, I was passing through on my way to Tahoe, so it wasn't that far out of my way. And that was the last time that I did see her, but she gave me a crisp, brand-new $100 bill. And, wow. And, okay. Which was... 
kind of surprising because the last time that I'd seen her, she did, she couldn't give me any money. She told me because it was all tied up and that she need, couldn't spend any of it right now. Okay. All right. So time. This, yeah. So we have the situation seemingly out of the blue, maybe not so much, but that may have been the way it seemed. She decides she's going to sell her house. She gave the story that she was going to be moving back somewhere. She goes and lives with a friend of hers. You go to live with your father's mother. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's moving out with this from this friend's place. And then all of you, your, her children get these letters about how suddenly you're finding out she's getting married. Is that pretty much how it went? Right, right. So she was seen loading all of her stuff into her car. And she told the roommate that she was going to San Jose to my sister's house. And they say she never showed up at my sister's house, but my sister wasn't expecting her. Huh. So it seems that she had lied to this roommate. Told her, told her she yeah. was doing one thing and doing she, another. She was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was covering up. Okay. What do you remember? Uh, of course, you've already talked about getting your letter. What was the, uh, if you can say or understand, at least one of your siblings is no longer with us, but how did your other siblings react to those letters? I mean, once you got them, did you call all call like each other and say, hey, I just got this letter from mom. What did you all say as a group? Right. One brother, uh, he's out of the loop a little bit, but I did talk to my other two sisters. My Eldest sister, she worked for the San Jose Police Department as a dispatcher, and she was completely baffled and confused by this being so far out of character. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, able to contact the Modesto Police Department personally later. Mm -hmm. Okay, so all of you were surprised. All of you, you know, she's saying she's going running off. She's going to get married um, and all of you. And then on top of that, at least in your letter, it said that at the right time, she would tell this new guy that she has kids. But until that point, she was going to let this guy believe she had no kids. Pretty right. Cool. It didn't say anything about telling him in my letter. In my okay. letter, it just said she wasn't, she wasn't telling him that she had kids. And Okay. It, it just baffles me that uh, you could be conned by someone so much that they decided to deceive them because if she is deceiving them, but yeah, it's beyond me. Uh, just the way you look at the letters now, was it in her handwriting? I realize it might have been forced. I don't want so much going to get into that, but was it her handwriting? It, it was hers. It was her handwriting. And like I said, I thought like what a perfect scam for that to write before he offered to make her write the letters and yeah, they're written we, under we duress. Get, but we, we can't. We, we're not going to get into that. We're all, we're all <laughs> yeah. trying. I'm well, just sticking to the just, just sticking. Yeah, just sticking to the facts. Your opinion. <laughs> and, was it her handwriting or not? Yes, it okay. is okay. definitely. Definitely her. She had a left hand. She was left-handed. She had oh, was she? a style that was her own. Okay. Very good. All right, so what do, you, what do you remember? So, of course, this is you didn't get those letters until June. The accepted disappearance date, it's, uh, from what I've seen, when this roommate saw her moving out, it's like May 17th. 
So we have like at least a few weeks between her moving out and then you getting these letters, uh, the, the group of you getting these letters. Please. At about the same time, what is next is my aunt gets a call saying her, her car has been impounded and they have it at the storage yard. Oh. And at this time, we didn't consider her missing. We didn't know that she was missing. And my sister went and picked up the car. Okay. So we, okay. So, all right. So she, so this, this car then in the meantime, so did, were you, when did you find out about this car being, I guess, abandoned or parked somewhere? When did you find out about it? So my sister goes and picks up the car and when she goes to fill up the gas, uh, gasoline, the gas tank, she notices the tire, the back tire has just been, uh, worn down in one big huge patch all the way down to this uh steel belt of the tire and so her first impression was that the car had been drugged either in gear or with the parking brake on interesting and so now we don't know if the tow truck driver did some damage to it or like that but when you start speculating you you wonder if it was drugged to the place it ended up by a different person okay uh, i just I, I just want to make something clear though you don't get your letter until june did you know about the car first being abandoned or did you get the letter first for you personally you remember it was close um i'd have to say that the car was first before we got the letters okay all right the, the car the car because the car got towed two days after it and then it was another yeah. two weeks until my sister went and recovered it and then i believe like shortly after that another two weeks in june okay. i received my letter all right so you got this letter that's really weird and then on top of that her car is at a location not at her work not where she used to live um, at that point, were you very concerned? I mean, you had to be thinking something's not right. Well, you didn't know what the, it was, but you had to be thinking something's not right here. Well, the last time she was seen, she was seen loading up the car with luggage. Yeah. And when they recovered the car, it had nothing in it except a plant. And in the glove box, it had a map with an outline how to get to the Stockton marina just in a felt pin chasing it from modesto to the stockton marina that was the only two things that i ever heard about being in the car okay so her luggage never seen again never nope okay none of her clothes nothing like that never seen again nothing okay do you know what happened to the car once it got towed away and maybe one of your family i'm not saying it had to be you but somebody in your family surely told, you know, once the car got towed or impounded that, yeah, she took off with a guy. Do you know if that actually went on? I'm not saying that you actually did that. But did somebody in your family say, well, you know, she took off with this guy or was getting married and just left her car? Was that – were the police informed of that? No, my sister went and uh, retrieved the car, and – she never bought into any any of it but once the car was found then her best friend 
went down to the police department. Once we contacted her and told her that we had the car, she went down to the police department and reported her missing, saying that this can't be, you know, this this can't be. Okay, so something between the car and these letters and, you know, her just taking off and, you know, what each of these letters, a little bit different, but it's kind of the same tone that I'm going away for a while, don't expect to hear back from me, obviously does not paint a very good picture, kind of a scary picture. No, it it starts going sideways from there. I mean, yeah. Uh, my sister, my oldest sister, worked for the San Jose Police Department. Went to, um, she took a detective from the police department, San Jose, and went to Modesto, and they questioned the investigating people, and they questioned her. And all she got out of that was that they told her that they had uh, interviewed people they don't tell you the names or anything like that but they told her that they had impounded or searched a car and took in uh, cloth samples out of the car thinking it was blood they searched a house but they said that they had no leading information that was relative to what they were trying to do okay about about this friend who saw her you know packing up her cow you know her car and was going to go away you don't have to use this friend's name but what did this friend say about that day did your mother seem nervous did she seem anxious happy you know what kind of was that feeling that day when she's packing up her car um i mean a friend was fairly new to the family we didn't really have that much contact with her Okay. I, don't, I don't even think the, uh, the rest of the, my members of the family had ever met her. I'd met her because I lived in Modesto and they right. had lunch together and stuff like that. But um, there's nothing I can find that the lady said she had any red flags. She she sent her off to my sister's house and, and that was it. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. So we got this car, nothing in it that's helpful probably even in the 21st century they probably wouldn't fingerprint it or anything anyway it's not you know probably not obviously your mother had told uh, different people different stories and then we have these letters that don't quite seem you know to have with her character maybe most mother's characters of course a lot of uh, strange things going on here when did you find out about all of this cash this money that she had withdrawn, you know, actual, not just taking like a cashier's check, but actual dollars. When did you find out about that? Okay. Just one more thing about the, the car though, in the map, my brother thought Please. that it was significant that the map was outlined with a felt pin to the Stockton Marina. And so he's gone now, but he always believed that that had something to sure. do. What was a clue, you know, and, and, so mm-hmm. yeah sure. you know maybe uh, i'm glad thank you for bringing that up ed maybe i should ask you this uh your mother your knowledge had she ever been to the stockton marina before to your knowledge yeah we we know the police couldn't make a tie to it they didn't really try they said um mm-hmm. that was just different you know and you don't know the way your mind works that you know that would be a good way to pull somebody off the trail but or was she really was that where she was going that right. you know, that's, that's a big question in my mind right how far is it from modesto to the stockton marina how far 35 miles 
about 35 miles. 35 miles. Okay. Thank you. All right. So we don't even know if she, you know, the map's in the car, but that doesn't mean it's her map. It could have been somebody else who put the line on the map. There's a lot of different possibilities there. It doesn't right. just because. So yeah, no, you can't tie it in at all. Now um, you're asking about the money. Yeah, please. Yeah. Now the um, money, when did you find out about this? Well, please. immediately people were asking, okay, now she's gone. Where's her money? And how they found out that she had taken it out of the bank, I'm not really sure. But the person that ran the bank was a high school friend of hers. And there's different stories varying that she went to different banks to get small amounts because they wouldn't give her the large uh, amount all in one. And the banker asked her what she was going to do with all the money. And she said she had a property investment that she wanted to do. Another story is that she wouldn't, couldn't get the money out and she opened another account and then had all the money wired in one lump sum and then went and got it. But I, wow. you know. Wow. Okay. So there are a couple different stories, but your understanding though, now we're doing this uh, interview on May 30th, so Memorial day of 2022. Your understanding though, is that she eventually did get a bunch of cash. And when I say cash, actual dollar bills, is, is that your understanding? So $28,000 $28, in hundred dollar bills. Oh my gosh, in 1979 money, so that's like a hundred thousand yep. dollars today yeah. or more. So, um, okay, it's just a it's just a huge red flag for anyone. You, yeah. you know, unless you're doing a drug deal, cash mm -hmm. money just really isn't uh, necessary. Yeah, it's it's a, it is a huge red flag, of course. Um, your understanding once again. I realized that other people were working on this, but your understanding now. Does that mean all of those accounts or whatever was totally cashed out? She had no more money in the bank at all. Was there any money left in any branch anywhere for her? Do you even know? Mm. Yeah, that's questions uh, that I asked my two sisters yesterday. Okay. I, I just have no idea. Okay. I just believe there was no money. We didn't get any money. We didn't split any money. They said there was no money. Okay. So, and your understanding though, most of this money would have been from the sale of that duplex that we've already talked about. It's the exact amount that, um, wow. Yeah. She went through the exact amount. $28,000 was the profit that she made on the house. And that's exactly okay. how much she went through. Okay. Wow. Okay. When did, all right. So we have this, we have a, we have a lot of bad signs here. So we move on to this. When did you first hear about this group uh, called Parents with Partners. Had you ever heard of it before your mother went missing? Yes, it, it, it's called Parents Without Partners. Without partners. For, I'm know, sorry. Yes, um, thank you. Uh, you know, parents who are trying to find a new spouse and keep families together and maybe, you know, hook two families up, make a bigger family, or it was just, I don't know, it was a dating service, but apparently it's, fairly expensive to be a member mm -hmm. okay but i yep. did i did meet that gentleman ignatio at the house and he was introduced as somebody that she had met at parents without partners and that would have been you know in like february of 79 all right so you well, knew about it because you knew about it because she had met some guy there and he had come to your house and so you knew that yeah. she, she was going to this okay 
Okay. Uh, do you know after she went missing, uh, for example, was Ignacio ever tracked down? We realized that he is not, maybe they didn't realize it at the time, but was he yes. ever tracked down to be talked to about this group? What can you say about that? Yes. Um, I received a phone call from the Modesto Police Department asking my side of the story, what I knew, and I mentioned them, and they said that they had interviewed him and checked him out and they had cleared him that he was just a nice guy okay all right so uh just for the record then because of this you knew about it uh parents with part without partners before she went missing but so it was least in your consciousness that you know she's getting out there maybe she's meeting some men she meets this ignatio guy seems like a good guy obviously it uh didn't work out but would you say that at the time after all of this, we have the letters, we have the car, we have the selling of her house, we have this cash. Was the these um, parents without partners um, group uh, a real center of the investigation, or when did it become a real, you know, important part of the investigation? Well, initially, I told my sister that they went and investigate it and they told her that they never heard of my mother that they uh had no records of huh. her being a member but then i guess the second or third time that she went back they finally did say that she was that she was a member and um they okay. and what information they got out of that i don't know Okay. Do you know if this was like a month after your mother went missing, like that mid-May 1979? No, it was like a month is, later? This is like um, September, probably. Oh, okay. So it's a month later. later. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, I don't know what to think of them not ever hearing of her at first, but then finally admitting she was a member there. That That is, uh, I don't know what to think of that. But okay. So she was going to this... Uh, parents without partners. She'd met one guy. Uh, and uh, obviously, you know, even here in the 21st century, know that online dating and dating groups and these things, when a woman goes missing, they do take a look at her social media. Was she on some sort of dating app, Tinder, Tinder or Bumble or, or whatever else? So what happens the rest of 1979, the, the way you remember it? Any leads? Does it kind of things kind of calm down? Because we're going to get to 1980 and we're going to talk about James Tolliver here in a short bit. But the rest of 1979, what do you remember about it uh, at the time, your personal experience? I would call the Modesto Police Department about once a month and they would just say they had no leads, nothing. You know, different what they were telling my sister, at least they were giving her little bits and pieces. But me personally, they said they had no leads, that she was a grown woman, that she could, um, you know, do as she pleased. And, you know, that most of the people lost are found. That, you know, True. and so just become, starts becoming a horror story after that because you know, any news about anyone found or anything starts playing into the mind. Right. Okay. When was the first time you heard the name James Tolliver? T-O-L-I-V-E-R. When was the first time you heard his name? 
Well, I lived up in the High Sierras, and there was a newspaper, uh, Big Bear, Big Bear, I don't, I can't really tell you the exact name, but it was a newspaper article that um, somebody told me that I probably should read. Yeah, and what did it say? There it was. It just said it was just uh, flat out that this guy did what he did, and that it was the same MO as my mother, and they couldn't tie it in, but it probably was. Okay, so uh, would you say this was in 1980? Was this after he murdered Florence Ricina? Is, yeah, is, so is, is that, is that the article you're talking about? Year and a half. Yeah, the article would have been a what of what happened uh, on October 8th, 1980. Right. So this is like a year and a half after your mother goes missing. Somebody says, you know, maybe you need to take a look at this article. You look at it and you see that there's this article uh, that I found. I found many of them online at, at this point uh, <laughs> regarding Florence's. And we'll get into the Florence, you know, the particulars of that in, in a moment. But it was something that kind of felt the same as what happened to your mother. You know, of course, we, you know, her reins weren't found, have not been found yet, but it kind of fit the same modus operandi. Well, no, they mentioned my mother in the article. Oh, they, they did. They said okay. that, that he, they had questioned him about uh, four other uh, women, and my mom was one of them, and it was pretty much the same scenario kind of thing. Meet a woman, have her sell her property, take her money, and she disappears and they never find her. So the first time you ever heard about James Tolliver is when you learned that article, saw that article, and your own mother's name was in that article. Yes. Oh my, what, how did you react to that? That had to have been shocking. Just, I mean, a year mm. and a half later, not hearing anything. I mean, how did that affect you? Yeah, you go through the whole stage, you know, you blame yourself, um, mm -hmm. um, had to be a real shock. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to believe there's no body. They can't really tie him into it. It's just, yeah. you know, they have circumstantial, but you know, you want to believe, yes, he does have amnesia. She did go on vacation. We will get a letter, mm -hmm. you know, um, but right. no, I mean, it, it was the same scenario. I knew it. And it ripped my heart out. And, uh, yeah. Did you? Uh, I'm guessing. Did your uh, siblings see that same article around the same time, or did you have to learn them to it, or how did that work? I, I can't tell you how they found out or what they knew, but my sister was connected with the police department and. I think one time when she called up, they said, well, this is what they have so far. But, you know, there wasn't really much reason to keep looking or anything. Wow. Okay. So you find out about them. All of you seem to find out about them through these articles. Through this article, there were many articles written, it should be known. Right. The, the Charlie Project is just a great... Uh, yeah place right. to go for missing people they've covered the story really in depth they gave me you know a lot yeah. of information so i can try to close it yeah my friend megan my friend megan runs that seg my megan line as i've known her for about five years now over that so i i agree with you 
Uh, have you found out when you first heard about this? And you know, and I'll maybe just read off what it kind of went on with Florin Florence Ruchina. But did you find out in 1979 when your mother went missing? Was James Tolliver questioned? Well. I have no way of knowing. My sister was in contact with the Modesto Police Department, but they weren't giving any names to what they were doing. They were explaining what they were doing, but they wouldn't give you a person's name, I don't think. So it's, yeah. yeah. But you, you have since found out, though, that regarding uh, parents without partners, that he was actually in that group. Right. So... When they finally caught up with him in his wallet, he had a Pirates Without Partners membership card. Oh, my. And the lady, uh, Racina. Florence Racina. Yes. Um, she, her Pirates Without Partners card was found in his house. Oh, my. Okay. All right. And after they searched it, they searched his house uh, after the incident, and they found behind a brick in the fireplace. I think uh, a lady that had been questioned that had dated him revealed to them that in his fireplace he had secret brick, and that he creeped her out too much, and that she couldn't take it, so she left. But they found that spot, and they got her jewelry out of there. And they sent pictures of it to my aunt to see if she could identify any of it. My sister believes some of it was, but there's no proof or anything like that. Okay. I'm just going to ask you again. Once again, if you don't know, totally fine, Ed, but I need to ask you this. When your mother went missing, did anybody, did the police, in doing this investigation, knowing all this stuff about the car, about the money and all these things, did they ever actually questioned James Tolliver, of course, before Florence Ruchina got killed, but was, was he a, a suspect in your mother's disappearance at all until Florence was murdered? Even now? I have no way of knowing that. I believe okay. they did, but I have no way of doing it because they wouldn't tell my sister who's they were investigating and right. I think if you talk to my other sister, they would. She would say yes. They did interview him, and that she did say that he called her, but they were just friends at this place. But but I have no proof of any of that. Okay. Uh, just in general, we know that your mother brought Ignacio back uh, to your house at one point. A guy that she met at venture with. Uh, I keep calling venture. Parents without partners. But had anybody, in retrospect, ever said, "Yes, I saw, saw Mary with James"? Did they ever go on a date together? Did he ever go to her house? Was he ever introduced to any of her friends? Anything like that to put that, those two together at all? Any ideas about that? Her fellow uh, nurses at work, supposedly, I've heard, identified a picture of her, him that said that he was the man that picked her up in the morning. She worked uh, 11 to 7, mm -hmm. um, 11 at night, 7 in the morning. And, and, but I don't know if that's hearsay, who said that, yeah. if there's any truth to it at all. But okay, I was told that somebody did identify him. And okay. 
So it sounds to me like they met at parents without partners, but they kept their relationship very quiet. Is that your perception, the way you look at it now? Yeah, for, for some reason, whatever spell he could put over, he could convince the people that, you know, they should keep it on the hush-hush. And the only reason I say this is because um, the last lady, um, I want to call her Racina, but... Florence Racina. Florence, let me call her Florence. Florence, so, uh, yes. Florence, they were going, attending meetings at Parents Without Partners, but nobody in the group knew that they were dating. And oh. so pretty much a red flag anytime somebody tells you to keep your relationship. They're either married, having an affair, or, or you know, yeah, something's some, going on there. Something seriously is going on there. Right. Okay. Let me just now for the listeners, let me just go through uh, with uh, Florence Ricina. The reason we're talking about James Tolliver so much is we believe that he is a ser serial, kill serial killer going the whole way back to maybe 1973 with the disappearance of a woman named Hester Chandler. Then in 1974, uh, a woman, Jackie Cooper, went missing, or was it 1976? But there was an order of Hester Chandler, then Jackie Cooper, and then James Tolliver's own wife goes missing. And then the next year, Mary Watkins goes missing. And then we get to 1980. And for the listeners, once again, uh, what happened with Florence Ricina? It seems that James Tolliver kind of did the same thing he seemingly did with Mary and these other women, where he convinces them that he's going to marry them and he has this business opportunity if they'll take cash out of the bank. And, and he was a, a degenerate gambler, uh, addicted gambler, probably using this money to blow it and using these women for their money and then killing them, unfortunately. And what happened with Florence Ricina is that he tried this with her and they got out going toward Lake Tahoe. And the story goes, it's actually in an article that his brother had dropped a, 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 his truck off out somewhere. Florence and James are in a car together. They go out there. Seemingly, James created a story to pull over. It just happened to be where his truck was. He shoots Florence twice. She has all this money. And as he's going back to his vehicle to get away with her money, he has a heart attack and dies. And that's where he is found. And then she is found a short distance away, obviously having been shot by him. In addition, as uh, Ed first told me, and then I was able to find corroboration on this, James Tolliver had actually written a suicide note to make it look like Florence Ricina killed herself, but he didn't have an opportunity to do that because he had to shoot her twice to kill her. So James Tolliver died of a heart attack after murdering one of these women, or Florence Ricina might be missing too. So, and it was that story now that Ed here in this interview is talking about, that made it into the news, and that's how Mary's name got in there, James's ex-wife got it, or wife, got in there and all these other women were mentioned uh, as well. Um, you know, well, how do you, you know, how do you feel about all of that? Uh, you know, this guy seemingly being able to pull all this off with, you know, so many women, he probably would have continued to do it had he not had a heart attack and died. Um, does it surprise you that your mother 
would be convinced like a, by a guy like that to take her money out of the bank. You know, you know, what do you think about that, Ed? I mean, it's just um, so hard to fathom that people can put a spell on so somebody so overwhelmingly yeah. that they can't see, you know, what's right. Um, Definitely, I mean, they questioned him about Jackie Cooper. He said he worked with her. He didn't know anything right. about it. His wife, right. he claimed that she took all the money back and left, and they just shrugged it off. Yes. And when you look at all these facts, you can see that they're getting closer, and his story changes. His M.O. changes from just disappearing making them disappear that he's going to have a body and he's going to shoot, shoot her, commit the suicide and have the note. But the note also, I'm probably getting off of what you were talking about, but Go ahead. she was a teach. She was a teacher and she had really fine English. And so he wrote a note on a typewriter, sorry, that um, was really poorly written. And so, and then he had two guns in his pocket when they found him at the truck at his truck. So, you know, Florence Ricina had good English and there was the suicide note that he had typed up and there's nobody, nobody would have ever believed that she typed it. Right. That, that was the point that I was trying to yeah. make that, you know, it wasn't, yeah, he was at the end of his line. He, so how did this affect you? You find, of course, she's missing for a while and then you hear about James Tolliver and then it all, of course, comes together. Of course, we're still here in 2022. Your mother has not been found. But um, how has how did that affect you back at that time, and how has it continued to affect you, Ed? You know, it's it's just brutal. You just can't believe that there can be that much evil, and yeah, I mean, it, it's that's mm -hmm. tough. It's really tough to say. Yeah. How did this, uh, how would you say that your siblings were affected by this news coming out? You know, finally figuring out who probably did something to your mother, but of course, her still being missing. How is this, how do you think, if you can speak for your siblings, how do you think it's affected them? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of anger, you know, you blame yourself, oh, I could have done more, but Really, there was nothing we could do. By the time we got the letters, it was already too late. Yeah. Um, I had talked to Jackie's daughter and her dad. That would have been Jackie's husband. We had talked to Tolliver at his house and asked him about Jackie. Yeah. And he said that he just he would have put a bullet in his head right there. And the, you know, he had to live with that. That oh, that guy killed more people. You know, he put that on himself. Right. Yeah, uh, the listeners should know I've had I've had a chance to talk to Jackie Cooper's uh, son and daughter, and I hope to have them on a future episode, maybe this summer for Unfound, so we can continue to put all of these crimes of James Tolliver together. Um, but I've had a chance to talk to him, and, and both of them told me about this story about their father. And, uh, you know, once again, kind of the same, but also a little different because Jackie was still married. But she was a co-worker of James um, at, a, at a plant, whereas your mother seemingly had met uh, James. He was using an alias, by the way, but met James at a, you know, the social club thing. Okay.
And if you could pick the worst name for an alias to call yourself Jim Joy when you are just distributing so much destruction. Yeah. It's just, it's just tough. Yeah. I, I need to ask you, being that Florence was in the Modesto, parents without partners, as was your mother, is there any chance that actually your mother and Florence knew each other? Did they know each other? Has that ever been proven or, or, or what? Uh, there's just, I don't have the information to see what the record memberships, if they overlapped or not. It, it's okay. quite possibly that they attended functions, you know, together, you know, everything was so hush-hush that it could have happened, you know, but he moved on fairly quick to his next victim after my mom. So, you know, I think they were, that they knew each other, but I don't know. Okay. Okay. Ed, uh, I know, uh, do you have, um, I know that there's this group. Why don't you talk about, there's actually a group that is nothing but victims of James Tolliver on Facebook. Why don't you give the, the title of that group out? That's how, you know, we've gotten to, uh, we're introduced. Why don't you give the name out of that group right now, if you can? Right. And so that's helped me um, know, you know, that other people are, suffering and going through and you don't feel like you're the only one and it turns out there's you know thousands and thousands of missing people but um the page on facebook is Jim, uh, victims of james tolliver mm -hmm. so it's facebook victims of james tolliver okay yeah and uh, of course uh jackie cooper's uh cooper's uh children are in there and if the listeners and i haven't even brought up this coincidentally a guest who was on unfound way back in 2017 actually is a uh, a relative of james tolliver's wife who went missing so she might be back on the program again you know this summer to talk about that aspect of james's wife going missing that's a, totally a coincidence um and i'll reveal who that guest is uh, sometime in the future but this group, uh, Victims of James Tolliver, it is a group, uh, family members who have been affected by his crimes in the in the 1970s up until 1980 are in there. And that's how, you know, uh, I'm in there now, too, of course. And I'm, I'm looking to speak to as many of those family members as I can so we can build kind of a catalog of all these disappearances. And maybe I'll even speak to somebody in Florence Rochina's family if I can track somebody down. I, I wouldn't mind doing that, even though we don't do actual murders on unfound but that you know just try to cover this as comprehensively as we can um ed any final words before we complete this interview um no i mean it, it's just brutal because you have to deal with you meet other people with the name tolliver and then you have to like keep yourself like from wondering you know, what, what the connection is and like that. And then all the stories on the news, you know, body found more after this at 11 and you have to sit there. And then with all the shows, forensic science and, and, and things like that, you see the way people treat their parents and becomes, you know, it comes tough to swallow. But um, there was just a couple of things. You know, now that I've looked into it a little, little bit more, I just found out about his brother helping him uh, yeah. drop the truck off 
and it was five miles away from where I was working at the Kirkwood Ski Resort. So wow. I would have liked a lot, known a lot more from that man, you know, why, why he did that. And, you know, if he'd ever helped him, you know, before and yeah. stuff like that. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's no. And I'm glad you brought that up because I have looked into whether James Tolliver had any siblings. He did. Unfortunately, that brother that allegedly dropped that truck off there, unfortunately he is deceased. However, there is a Jerry Tolliver who is still alive and he's only 67. So um, I have some contact information for him. You know, maybe he might be able to give in some insight into his brother James and maybe what the rest of their family knew about, you know, James. I I'm going to hope they didn't know he was killing any women, but maybe anything suspicious, anything awkward back at the time that they could remember. But at least one of his siblings is still alive and he's only 67. So I would hope that he lives for some years. So that's something maybe that can continue to be worked on in 2022. You know, it's at least, you know, some leads that are still out there. And, and the police told me, you know, he was a huge gambler, but he had $28,000 in his bank account. And they, they just were amazed that somebody that gambled that much could have that money in the bank. And, it right. turns out it's the exact same amount my mom gave him or, you know, or what had taken out of the bank or whatever, how you want to say that. Yeah. And I want to remind everybody, $28,000 in 1980, uh, you know, and considering inflation and everything, that might be four times as much. We're, we could be talking $120,000 in, in today's money. Yeah. It's well, a huge my amount mom of money. Sold her, my mom sold her house for $28,000 and now it's worth $513,000. Oh, so. Wow, that's that's that, yeah. and the house that they sold for sixty four thousand dollars in San Jose is worth over a million. So, mm -hmm. like that. But I just have a few more things just to say. Go ahead. Um, that I don't know, society or whatever it is, they don't really want to talk about missing people, and that it seems like you have to be a young white woman to get the attention that. Um, some of these cases deserve. Yeah. There is that. That is true. That is not a perception. That is unfortunately reality. Of course, we don't uh, hold to that unfound. We talk to everybody, but that is uh, something that exists. Uh, of course, Gabby Petito, uh, Petito um, you know, Sherry Papini, when she went missing, all of these women certainly do get a lot of national attention. You're, you're right. I mean, of course, you know, Lacey Pearson from Modesto, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just, you know, you're thinking, wow, this guy used the same scenario as Jim Tolliver. You know, he bought a boat, he went out in the marina and, and dumped the body and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're trying to change that. All I can tell you is we're trying to change the perception of disappearances. We're trying to do it, it one disappearance at a time. Thing. It's been great lately. They have found a lot of a lot of people lately. Technology and these divers checking in lakes, and it's yeah. just been amazing that they've made um, with the DNA and all of that. So, yeah. But yeah. I appreciate your time. I appreciate what you've done. Unfounded, uh, that your books that you have out there. I'm going to yeah. definitely uh, get a hold of that. Uh, Thanks. It, it's definitely been a rough week, but uh, yeah, it's good.
Yeah, it's tough. To, I, I realize that it's tough to talk about it. I, I You know, 43 years since her disappearance, it's still as difficult as it was at the time. I, I get it. And, and I, I know it's not easy to talk about some of these things in the in the details, the technicalities, the very technical aspects, the way I ask questions. So I really do appreciate it. And I, I had talked to uh, Jackie's daughter. She was only 18 months old at the yeah. time. And, you know, I, I apologize for opening uh, an old wound, but, you know, she reminded me that it's it's right there. It's always right just below the surface. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Wed, I, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. I appreciate it. Two heads are better than one. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. You, you're, you got that right, Ed. That is for <laughs> sure. Thank you. And that was my May 30th, 2022 interview with Ed Watkins, son of Mary Watkins. I thank him for taking time out of his Memorial Day to join me and all of you on this episode. There's not a lot of mystery in Mary's disappearance. James Tolliver did it. We know why he did it. The struggle for me and all of you besides the most important part of trying to find Mary, is understanding how something like this can happen. How can a mother, who was close to her children, who had plenty of money, who had a great job, be convinced to drop everything, take out all of her cash from the bank, and run off with a practical stranger? Adding to the confusion is that she kept it all a secret. If Mary thought what she was doing was such a great idea, would she not have told people her plans? And if she thought it was a bad idea, why leave it all? Or maybe we need to look at it this way. Maybe Mary thought that her friends and family had gotten in the way of her own desires over the years, and that they would only do so once again if she told them her plans. I suppose there's also the possibility that Mary went along with James Tolliver because he threatened her. If she didn't do as he said, he'd kill her children or something. I have my own ideas about all of this, but you know I don't like to lead you the audience in one direction or the other. You can come to your own conclusions. As far as disappearance classifications go... This is of the type of the art of luring, where a perpetrator convinces the victim to do something he or she would not normally do, with the promise of some kind of reward. Some of Unfound's disappearances in this category are Tyler North, Jeff Nichols, Stephanie Hartwell, and Barbara Frame. What makes Mary's unique within this type is what James used to lure her. It was the promise of love, security, friendship, and stability. This is certainly unique in the disappearances we've covered. But those maybe are the best lures of all, because they work with every human, whether the person is an addict or not, married or not, rich or not. We all have to be careful, even a cynic like myself. Don't fall for the con man 
or woman? I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.